the statement I've come up with that I keep coming back to is this idea that caring about people has to include caring about the things that affect people. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Today on the Living Centered Podcast, we're bringing you an incredible conversation between Miles and New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and founder of To Write Love on Her Arms, Jamie Tchaikovsky. Together, they explore the importance of doing your own work and leaning into vulnerability. Along the way, they discuss their ongoing personal and professional commitments to destigmatizing mental health and connecting the world to the resources we all deserve. In this interview, Jamie shares his conscious decision to use his platform and voice to advocate for the things and issues that matter most to him. Since we recorded this conversation back in December of 2020, Jamie has announced a professional shift to create space for those efforts. Jamie has made such a positive impact on the world over the last 15 years through his work with To Write Love on Her Arms, a nonprofit movement dedicated to presenting hope and finding help for people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. He recently shared that he'll be stepping away from To Write Love on Her Arms to continue writing and speaking and elevating the issues that matter most to him. Issues like climate change, gun violence, immigration, and the treatment of refugees, and how those things intercept with mental health. If you want to learn more about his transition, we've linked a really beautiful blog post from Jamie and the team at To Write Love on Her Arms in our show notes. Make sure you check it out. We look forward to seeing the continued impact Jamie will make on the world as he pursues new ventures. And we hope today that this conversation inspires and encourages you to pursue the hope and healing you deserve. If you or a loved one are struggling with suicide, we encourage you to reach out for professional help. You can find support at TWLOHA.com or by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. All right. Jamie, my friend, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you for being on the Living Center podcast. Oh man, I'm I'm honored. You know, I'm a fan of of yours and Onsite, and I mentioned a moment ago. I, I can't imagine anything you guys would ask me that I wouldn't say yes to. <laughs> well, same. It's been fun to cross resource and collaborate some. I know you've been kind of have me at a couple of your events over the years, and we've done some things digitally here early in the year. Uh, so hopefully we'll keep doing that. I'm a fan of you and your work. And, you know, we had an opportunity to meet, I guess the first time was on an island in Canada years ago. Yeah. I think, was that the first time we met up there? Yeah, at the, I believe so. And I couldn't believe the scale of your your efforts and mission back then and that I was in the, wasn't in the loop about it. So for me, it was like, I didn't think I would be there at that particular event that we were at with anybody that was kind of advocating or pushing for things that I care about in the mental health space. And there, there you were. And I was like, dang. So we had a lot to talk about. I remember yeah, uh, right I up front. That was a, a really special, really eclectic group of people. And the same, you know, onsite was not on my radar at the time. So it's been really cool mostly since then to, to learn about it. And obviously now I've, I've been to Onsite, I've been through the Living Centered program. So yeah, I'm thankful that our paths crossed back then. You know, I know uh, being in the 
line of work that you're in with the statistics and numbers just continuing to be on the rise uh, and just even separating from what it is that you do just as a human being swimming through 2020 or really just the last few years, there's been a lot of challenging things in our culture from the social unrest uh, to, and then now of course the economic challenges and the political divide and, and the pandemic and on and on and on. And of course uh, we were seeing a lot of rise in numbers, even pre a lot of this stuff, but I think this is kind of poured fuel on the fire somewhat. And, mm. I'm just curious how how's your spirit, you know, how's your heart amidst all this? Yeah, man, great question. Um, you know, I'm someone who struggles with depression, and that's been true for years. And uh, I, you know, I feel like the challenges of 2020 in some ways have have just kind of highlighted some of that, some of the the loneliness and longing. You know, I'm a single guy who aspires to not be single. I moved, you know this, but I moved to Nashville at the a year ago at the at the end of last year and was excited for a new chapter and and I love Nashville, uh, but it turned out to be a really lonely season, you know, as someone who's pretty careful with COVID, spending the year there and ended up a couple months ago moving back to Florida just to feeling like if I could surf and be close to my family, that would be a bit of a win in this season. Um so, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I, I relate to people that are struggling. I'm thankful that, you know, my basic needs are met. I know that's huge. I know that's something you talk about. So I try to be grateful. I'm thankful for the slowing down. I know you can relate to, we maybe a year or two ago were guys that were on a, a plane a lot and had cool places to go to and, and people to meet with. And there's a lot less of that, you know, almost none of that now for me. And it has forced me to slow down and uh, to be present and, and, those have been healthy challenges. And the last thing I, I stumbled upon, uh, I was reading an article in The Guardian, and I don't even remember who the quote is by, but I, I just stumbled upon the idea that hope is a commitment to the future. And I just loved that. And, and the broader context was that hope is not a feeling. It's not this magical thing that we go out and find. Oh, sorry. The guard dog. Um, but... I love this idea that hope is simply a commitment to the future. And, and I've really been hanging on to that and, and thinking a lot about that. The, uh, it wouldn't be the same if you and I did an interview without that pup in the background. Given She's actually been really good. I think she heard something. I, she should, uh, she should mellow out in a second. Sorry. No, we did a, a few months ago, we did a IG live with you, I think, or maybe with Twala in, she climbed up around your neck in the yeah, middle of yeah. a very, very serious question you were asking me. <laughs> Say that again, what you said from the Guardian. A commitment to the future. Hope is a commitment to future. Last night, I journaled about hope. And so it's cool that you just read that. And I thought about, because I was looking at an image on our campus of our cabins at night. And it just, uh, what I wanted to share was what I needed to hear, mm. which is rest easy. You know, I've bared witness to more hope and more resilience from people who sought refuge and rest in these cabins than I could ever imagine in one lifetime. Mm. And if there's anything I can remember from my seat, it's that tomorrow is another hopeful day. And I, I know that sounds kind of cliche and cheesy, but I think what a way to start this conversation with hope. Uh, I don't think 
there's ever been a time that I've needed reminded of it more. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you sharing what you did in the beginning there about your own struggle, your own journey, and how difficult and lonely it's been in this season. I, I think many people can relate. I think there's a whole lot of people in our space that didn't get into our space by accident. Mm. And we can you know, have an empathetic disposition and relate often, more so even than we maybe knew when we got into our, our space mm-hmm. to the people that we hope to serve and help. Have you always been that open about your own journey? And why do you feel it's important to be out loud about that? Good question. I, uh, we're coming up on 15 years ago that To Write Love on Her Arms started. And I don't know back then if I would have considered myself someone who struggled with depression. So I think I've gotten more comfortable being open, you know, while doing this work and, and in some ways probably developed language for my own struggles. I do think I got comfortable giving advice before I had taken it. You know, I, I remember getting comfortable as a speaker, standing on stage, encouraging people to go to counseling, encouraging people to be known and live in community and it's not that I was lying because I, I believed those things, but I, I, was a, I was kind of speaking from a bankrupt place, especially at, at maybe the, some of the busiest seasons. And so as is often the case, I, I kind of learned the hard way of realizing I really needed to take that advice and not oftentimes not realizing on my own, but realizing because of it being brought to my attention, you know, and that I say that as someone who's, who's spent a week at onsite and had several seasons of counseling and been on antidepressants for years now. Uh, but I'm, I am thankful, you know, I feel like the silver lining and I know you're, you're open and honest about your own journey and the work that you continue to do. I'm thankful that I, I can relate to people who struggle, who, you know, I can relate to people's pain, not that I can relate to every single situation or that I've lived every circumstance. Cause that's not true, but I, I'm aware of my own pain. I've always been, someone who felt things deeply and oftentimes, you know, when I'm writing or, or speaking, I feel like there's an element of talking to myself, you know, I, I need these things to be true because I'm also someone who struggles. Hmm. You ever gotten to a place where you've questioned, you know, how much you should share, um, you know, what, have you found a good rhythm with, you know, what to share, when to share it in your role? I think what comes to mind is at this point, I'm a part of a team, you know, staff, interns, that is so much bigger than me. And we have systems in place where it it feels healthier. There's boundaries set up around, you know, my communication, my privacy, and, and maybe more importantly, I feel like I'm able to point to something bigger than me but also not set me up to be the action point or the solution. And so I love that if I share and it moves people, that hopefully what happens next is people end up on our website. They end up using our find help tool. They end up sending an email that someone else responds to. So I think what was really hard early on was, you know, me choosing to be vulnerable or me sharing. And as a result, people wanting to connect with me. And and I'm sure as you've experienced there's a lot of times or there are a lot of times where people want you to be the solution. Um, Hey, can I tell you my story? Can we get coffee? Um, Really nice things, you know, even, even great problems to have, but not, not always the healthiest 
system, not always realistic. And I, I think it took me a few years to realize that, you know, I, I want people to have more than what I have to offer. And, and so I love that I can point them to our website, to our resources, to our team, and even and then even beyond that, that our hope is that they would end up at a place like onsite, or they would end up sitting across from a counselor. So I think there's this healthy way of learning how to redirect that has taken time. And then I think also just, maybe this was even a better answer to your question, uh, just knowing I, I can't, I can't live and die on Instagram and on Twitter. And it can't just be about appearing to be vulnerable on social media. Uh, I have to be known offline. I have to be known in my real life and my real relationships. And, you know, if out of that, I choose to be vulnerable on Instagram, that's fine. But, but I'm in trouble if that's my only outlet. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I just think, you know, I think, you've done a good job with that. And uh, it's a messy process to try to discover the right pace, the right place when you make the decision to be a little more public in a space like ours. And I think there's a lot of reason I asked that question. There's a lot of people that uh, now that vulnerability has become hip and cool and it's trending. And I'm thankful. I mean, it's opened so many doors that were frankly needed to be open. And you know, we got great leaders and friends like Brene and other people to thank for championing that. But um, people ask all the time in today's climate, because it's still, even though it's more accepted, it's still countercultural. And people want to know how much is it okay to share? You know, when should I speak up? In what format should I speak up? And I don't know in my, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it too, but I, I don't feel that there's a science to it. I do think there's a rhythm and I think you can find a rhythm that's supportive of you, just like what you describe. But I would just encourage those of you that might be listening to not overthink it, but not miss an opportunity to explore why you might be sharing what you might be sharing with the person you might be sharing it with. No, I agree with that. I, I like to tell people I, and I, I always, there's a little bit of a disclaimer because I'm not someone who works out a lot, but I, in my mind, it would be similar to working out where it becomes easier over time. You know, you, you build these muscles and things become routine and you realize you can do it. And I, I think vulnerability and honesty, maybe it applies there. You know, it might be really intimidating the first time you choose to share a part of your story or, or choose to go deep with, in a friendship or on, you know, in a blog or wherever it may be. But I think for me and, and probably for you, it's, it's become second nature over time because we have, we've spent a lot of time doing it. And so I've gotten comfortable and I'm thankful for that. And I believe that is possible for other people. And then with that, I think it's just a matter of uh, trying to figure out how to do that. What does it mean to be healthy? And and I do, I agree. I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a science it, it might look different from one person to the next and I just know for me I'm, I'm thankful that I no longer only think about those things in terms of social media but I look forward to my Wednesday afternoon counseling session I look forward to my best friends and my family I want to value the real relationships and, and what make up my real support system and I want to think about being honest and be, and more importantly, being known or, or ultimately being known in those relationships. And then whatever gets shared publicly can 
you know, that that's okay too. And, and, and good, like you said, good can come from that. But I, I'm thankful now that I, I feel like I go to a real support. I think about a real support system first hmm. and, and just knowing that I want to be honest with a handful of people and, and that I'm so thankful for that counseling appointment that I every week can go in and, and be really honest about, you know, usually the, the hard things in my life. Well, when we talk about vulnerability, I kind of did a general sweep there as if it's getting easier, cooler, trendier, and it is, but I still think there are things that still unfortunately are clouded by a dated stigma that are misunderstood, that aren't talked about in the way that they probably should be and deserve. One of those, I think, although we're gaining a little ground, thanks to advocacy work like what you're doing, you know, you run an organization that is committed to mental health, but is specifically committed to suicide prevention and suicide. And that one, to me, feels like we've got a lot of work to do before people still feel that they can talk about it openly, that it can be understood, that particularly how common it is. But what are you seeing in today's climate and how has it evolved and what needs to evolve around the conversation with suicide? I've been asked some version of that pretty consistently. And usually where my brain goes first is that I feel like things have gotten better and at the same time things have gotten worse and and what i mean by that is you know i'm i'm thankful that the conversation has has come so far where more people in all sorts of circles are talking openly about mental health um we see more and more headlines uh we see actors athletes musicians all different kinds of people talking about mental health and and that's a good thing but then we we see the statistics, the research, you, you touched on it earlier. We, we see that, that statistically things are not getting better. And I think that's even maybe exponentially more challenging when people are lonelier than ever. So many people are out of work. It's just kind of a perfect storm of, of challenges, isolation, people feeling disconnected. So I, I think it's important to acknowledge both. I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that hopefully the stigma is being torn down somewhat, that more people are talking about it, learning about it, and, and hopefully that that just continues to happen where more people feel like they can be honest and not only be honest, but ultimately get help. But I, I'm also aware of the challenges overall, but especially this year, you know, and, and just knowing how, I mean, I, I kind of already said it, but just how isolated so many folks are. And so I think it's felt important to remind people, and obviously we're months and months into this thing, but just to remind people that even in a time when things look so different and there are so many challenges that uh, you can still be known, you can still be in relationship, you can you can use technology to stay in touch, uh, whether it's FaceTime or a phone call, there's telehealth, you can still go to onsite. So I think, to, I think it feels important to acknowledge the progress, um, to acknowledge the challenges, and obviously, we, we hope that things look different at some point next year, that things, we know it won't go back to normal, but, but that uh, we'll feel a bit safer and we can, you know, we can gather, we can, on-site can be at full capacity, things like that. And I, I hope it'll just 
become easier and easier. And I know there's a financial aspect uh, going back to your question, just in terms of what I'd like to see. I, I hope that, you know, we want to remove as many barriers as we can, you know, for so many people, they're afraid to talk about getting help. But then the second step becomes, could I ever pay for it? Uh, where do I turn? Does my insurance cover it? So my hope is just that it can, things can get easier on that front as it relates to health insurance, scholarship dollars, just more and more people wanting to make mental health care accessible. Yeah, well said. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I hope you're loving this conversation as much as I am. I love hearing how passionate both Jamie and Miles are about changing the way that we look and talk about mental health and therapy. They're so passionate about making emotional wellness resources accessible and affordable. And here at Onsite, we are too. We desire to equip the world with more accessible resources. And that's exactly what our new emotional health masterclasses do. They make mental health accessible and affordable. For about half the cost of a traditional therapy session, these digital classes include about an hour of clinical expertise and teaching, as well as a workbook designed to ground, unpack, and apply the concepts to your everyday life. Right now, we offer classes on grief, trauma, shame, and narcissism. And as a special thank you for being a podcast listener, you can save $20 on any class when you use the code podcast at the checkout. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash classes to check them out. Now, let's jump back into this incredible conversation with our friend, Jamie. Just to get practical for a minute, and I'm sure, like you just said, you get asked a lot of questions because being, you know, leading an effort like you do and being an expert around suicide, then it's just probably a given. But I don't want to take for granted that even though the audience that probably is listening to a, to a Living Centered podcast out of on-site most likely are interested somewhat in counseling or have done some of their own counseling, maybe many of our alumni, hopefully some new friends. But I don't want to, don't want to underestimate where people are in terms of their experience and being informed about how to navigate the practical side of what do I do if and when. And so what might you say to there's two things I was hoping you might speak into, and then I want to get back to you a little bit beyond what you do, but I just want to take advantage while I got you here for sure to talk about what about the person out there who has had contemplation or is in contemplation or in, at any phase uh, around suicide? What's a message that you would have for them? Uh, how might you support them with what would they do with that in a season like this? Yeah, I think I think my first hope would be that that person is not alone. And, you know, specifically, practically, the hope would be that they could tell some loved ones, tell some trusted, safe friends and family how they're feeling and, and the, maybe the extent of their struggle. And hopefully that they would be met with a compassionate, empathetic response I know we can't always control that, but I, you know, I think about the relational side that they would have friends they could lean on. But then I think just as quickly I go to the professional side and, and wanting people to get the help they need and deserve. And I, I tend to be a bit of a broken record, just encouraging people to connect with a licensed counselor often as a, a great place to start. 
And hopefully a good therapist can help you make a plan and can help you figure out the, the course of action to take um, so that you don't have to tough it out. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to only figure it out with friends and family. So I think just to know there's no shame in, in whatever whatever assistance, whatever help we need. But I think so much of it comes down to being known. And, and with that, you know, something we touched on earlier, just, just knowing that it is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to say it out loud and, and to put a hand up and say, hey, I, I need some help. I, I need to talk to someone. I'm really hurting. I'm, I, I don't know if I can do another day. Um, and so I think it's just a mix of, of uh, how do we show up for our friends? How do we show up for the people that we love? How do we allow people to show up for us? And then just knowing, you know, the same way if you broke your leg, you wouldn't cut any corners to get that bone fixed. Uh, if, you're, if your car was giving you trouble, you'd, you'd get it into someone who knows how to fix cars. And, and just the idea that our, our lives and within that our mental health deserve the best possible care. and. Uh, so I guess hopefully a combination of those things. Yeah, that's good. And I would just, you know, add to it that in having worked with and walked alongside a lot of people who've been in that space, often there's a lack of, um, I don't want to say motivation, but in a sense motivation to want to take an action step, and which mm-hmm. is exactly what we're encouraging is an action step. Tell another person speak up and ask for help, you know, get professional support. Um, Three things that are vital to the process. But if you're sitting there and you're not feeling motivated to take action, it might be because you're, I don't know exactly what's going on for you. If you're dealing with some depression, if you are in the process of trauma, and you might be dissociated a little bit from finding empathy for yourself and your story. Just mm-hmm. hear that that's normal. And it is redeemable. You need to hear me say that. I have seen it. I guarantee you, Jamie's seen it over and over again. And you don't have to have the right motivation to take action in a scenario like this. You can do it automatic. You can be disconnected from yourself. You can do it for somebody else. Just take that first step. Mention it to one other person, raise your hand, speak up, and if you can, get professional support. A competent, and here, get, buckle up for this. Uh, you might be disappointed on your first call because mm-hmm. I think what, Jamie, what you said is I hope that on the other end of that is somebody that receives it with an empathetic disposition and understands it. You might not get that. Uh, that's not always the case. That's okay, too. That will be one advantage from being a little bit disconnected from your emotions right now is that you can you can power through something like that. I've seen some of the most resilience born out of some of the darkest times. And so I want to encourage any of you that are listening to exactly what Jamie said, uh, just to, to push through and, and speak up and ask for help. Uh, what would you say then to those who are who know someone, maybe uh, you're a parent you're a partner, you're a friend, and you just, you, you know, this is going on in their life, or you assume this might be going on in their life, and you just don't know what to do or what to say. I think a lot of times we avoid hard conversations entirely because we don't know what to say. And I, I don't, I'm not saying this is expert advice, but I love to encourage people 
if you love someone and you don't know what to say, just start there. You know, start with, I don't have the words. I don't entirely understand where you're at, but I care about you. You know, I, I love you and I believe in you and I want better for you, whatever, you know, whatever that truth is for you. And I, you know, so I think just you always talk about just being shoulder to shoulder with people, being willing to listen, being willing to cry with someone. And then I think as we touched on earlier, knowing that you, the friend or family member, can't be the entire solution. Hopefully you're part of a support system. And hopefully as you walk shoulder to shoulder, you can walk in the direction of professional help. Hopefully that's something that person who's struggling is open to. But I, I think it's a combination of community, empathy, compassion, uh, but certainly maybe at the top of the list is that professional help piece. And I, I think it's challenging because we can't control the response we're met with. I tell people you could make the perfect speech and you can't, you can't determine if it gets through. You can't determine what gets heard, but we can decide to keep showing up for people, to keep checking in, um, to keep telling people the truth, to be willing to ask hard questions and, and, I think to encourage people to get the help that could save their life. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I I think when we were encouraging someone who may be in that place to speak up or speak out here, I think we're encouraging you to take the risk to speak into. And I think that feels like a heavy task and a daunting task because again, often we don't know what to say and, or we are so in fear about the conversation, which is totally human that we want to fix it as fast as we can. And therefore, we just jump into expert advice mode and try to tell them what they need to do when actually they want to feel seen, heard, valued, and cared about first. So I would say, take the risk. It's going to be clumsy and don't wait to have a conversation. You won't do it perfectly, but it's not your job to fix or advise. It is your job to love and empathize. And if you can do that and then get them in the right care, uh, then it'll be well worth the effort. So I think if we can have more people speaking up, speaking out, and more people speaking into, we got a good chance of helping shift this narrative. Definitely, that's good. Uh, well, back to you. The uh, you know you've we we talked a little bit about this in the beginning of the conversation about how you've kind of taken your work, and I don't know if you did it on purpose or if it happened organically, but you've kind of you've embraced pop culture. Whereas traditional mental health channels kind of, they give the old Heisman to pop culture and, and try not to interact with it. And I think that's a miss in my mind, you know, where I stand on that. However, I think it's challenging to do, but you've embraced it and have become, you know, I see you with a lot of these people who are influential people who are speaking out about it and they're wearing your t-shirts and all this. And I, why do you feel like it's important? important to, aside from, you know, the obvious, like they're going to get the message out there, but why have you chosen that path and how have you found some success with it? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I love to go back to the very beginning for us because it, you know, there was no whiteboard, there was no mission statement or five-year plan. It, it literally, literally grew out of, you know, trying to help one person and within that telling a story and really inviting people into that story. And, initially you know music was a big part of it and and uh social media back we can giggle but back then it was myspace <laughs> and so that you know those were kind of the 
those were parts of our DNA. Uh, we had a couple friends in bands that were successful kind of in the alternative realm. And so with that, our t-shirts started to end up on stages and, and it spread through MySpace. And, and so I guess pop culture, you know, back then I, I knew more about pop culture than mental health. <laughs> so, you know, there, in a way, I think it just happened so naturally where there was such a big connection to music, not just in, I think, friends, you know, choosing to support us or, or you know, musicians wearing our shirts, but I think just the connection within uh, just the reality that there's a sensitivity to to caring about music, to connecting with music and, and uh, just tapping into some of the, the common ground and, and early on asking questions about, man, if we can sing these songs, if we're drawn to show up at a concert and to sing along because something feels true, uh, could that apply to this mental health conversation? Could that apply to the hardest things in your life? You know, those words you sing in a chorus, could you say that over a cup of coffee to your best friend? Uh, and then we just started to see surprising doors open with, you know, actors and athletes and, and I think real friendships, you know, we've, it, it, there was never a traditional marketing department or like we didn't work with an agency, but we just started to, these people kind of came out of the woodwork and wanted to support us. And, and many of them became really dear friends. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that, you know, and, and uh, I, I think with that, it feels important to to not only focus there, but also to, to think just as much and be just as grateful for the high school student that does a bake sale or raises $80 for their birthday, you know, so not to, not to just be celebrity focused or only talking about people with tons of followers. But, but I think the hope that it reminds us that these are human issues and, and these are issues that affect people of all ages, uh, you know, people that transcend so many ways that we kind of organize and label people. And obviously there, you know, there's, I think it is important to know that, that even successful people, even people that are great at what they do, people with, you know, seemingly that have made it uh, also struggle in these ways. And, and there's something important about that part of the story as well. But with that, I think, you know, I'm, I'm also just not only me, but our team, I think we're just made up of people that love good shows and good movies and good music and, love to to kind of connect all of it because I feel like all at the end of the day we're really talking about being human you know we're talking about being alive and and the beauty of that and the challenges of that and I think we can draw from anything we can you know we can talk if we're talking about honesty I feel like we can we can be honest about all of it you know even in and I think in more recent years that even for me I have to think about okay well can I talk about politics? Um, you know, so even even more than pop culture, um, but just all the different parts of life. It does feel like you, in the last couple years, as I've watched, you have really moved beyond to write love on her arms in your advocacy work to where you've taken the idea of caring for the human and things that you're passionate about and become very outspoken about those in some cases taking a probably a risk uh from not being switzerland on some topics and uh losing some followers and what's that process been like for you and why do you feel like it's important to step into yeah man it's well the first thing that comes to mind is i i feel like i'm far from alone in that journey and i, th I think i've definitely been inspired by i just started paying attention to 
other people that were talking about other issues, you know, and, and I realized that some of these things resonated. And I don't know, I think, I think just the, the statement I've come up with that I keep coming back to is this idea that caring about people has to include caring about the things that affect people. So I, I kind of joke, if I go to a suicide prevention event or a rally no one will be there protesting. It, you know, we people may disagree about some of the details, but it's not a polarizing topic. Um, it's not a superheated or charged topic. But if you if you touch on, you know, gun violence or immigration, um, if you touch on some other issues, it, it gets a very different response. Um, the environment is very different, and and yet I don't want to shy away. You know, I, I just I feel like I want to care about people and and the reason I care about mental health is because it, it affects people, you know, and I think a lot of it has just been me. And and again, I think there's millions of people on this journey as well, but just learning about some of these issues and, and realizing these are, these are issues that affect innocent people and, and wanting to do better in my own life. And I think I spent a bunch of years wrestling with it. And, and I also think it's become maybe more acceptable. Like I think, you know, a few years ago, people would say kind of how dare you be political or how dare you touch on that. And I feel like some of that has been challenged. Some of that has gone away and, and we're seeing more and more, you know, you're even seeing giant corporations that are willing to go there. There has been a cost. I mean, it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about me. Most I'm, I live a really privileged life and a lot of these issues are not issues that affect me personally, but I feel like I want to use the whatever platform I have and, and whatever voice I have. I want to, I want to care about things that matter and I want to learn and, and talk about things that matter. And, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll leave it here, but I, I think the challenge becomes how to do that in a way that is honest. Um, but that doesn't, that isn't just a, I don't know, kind of, kind of like I want to communicate with people who disagree with me and I want to do a good job there. My sister said something a couple of years ago that really stayed with me, which she basically just challenged me not to bully the bullies. You know, I think we, we all see on Twitter where you can kind of quote someone and you can kind of get into these epic debates or you can try to win an argument with, you know, with a, a really clever response. And she just pointed out, if you're not careful, you're just being a bully to the bullies. You're being a bully to people who disagree. And, you know, I think a, a guy like Carlos Whitaker comes to mind as someone who does it incredibly well, where he, he's just able to speak to people on both sides of the aisle. I think people on both sides of the aisle would, would agree that, you know, he's a dude that cares. He's, he's a, he's a guy that wants to learn, wants to do the work. Um, he's for people. And, you know, I think I, I want to learn from guys like that. Yeah. Well said this question, if, if you'd be open to answering it in two ways, and we'll start with just for you personally, with where you are moving forward, your your biggest hope for Jamie going forward and your biggest fear? My hope has been the same for a while. I, I'm really thankful for To Write Love on Her Arms. I'm thankful for the career things that I've gotten to be a part of and gotten to experience. And my dream for a long time now has just been to have a partner, you know, have someone to share it all with and hopefully someday to have a family of my own. So, you know, that's, that's my biggest hope personally, just to remain open 
to remain healthy in the midst of, you know, that longing and at times that loneliness. But yeah, I feel like that's my really honest answer. You know, that's, I'm not dreaming about, you know, getting back to cool events. You know, I, I'm, I hope that happens. I hope I can, I want to, I want to live with purpose. I want to be an encouragement. I want to make an impact. And I, I hope that'll be true for a long time. But in terms of like a single idea, it's, it's definitely that love story. Hmm. And then how about a, your, the fear? How, what's your biggest fear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we did a campaign years ago called Fears Versus Dreams that was, was rooted in, you know, not, not just for a time period, but kind of for your life. What's your, what's your greatest dream and what's your biggest fear? And, and I think that the answer I just gave was my answer. And then I, I think this will be my answer as well, but I think it's just the absence of that. You know, it's just uh, living with that loneliness, you know, being happy for guys like yourself, you know, that, that have the wife and the kids and, 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 you know, just, I think being afraid that that's not in the cards for me. And then I think with that, or maybe, maybe in addition is, is just, you know, kind of settling, um, not just romantically, but I think living a life that I'm not proud of, you know, something I've been talking about in counseling is, is even the wrestling with the fear that are, are my best days behind me are my most impressive accomplishments behind me. And ultimately that ends up, you end up talking about identity stuff. You end up talking about who am I really, who am I, who am I without a recent highlight? Who am I without a recent thing that's impressive? So I think there's a bunch of fears wrapped up in that. (laughs) No, that's good. It's fascinating because we, obviously spend a lot of time here with people who are experiencing significant fear and maybe have had hope blocked for a while. And then Mm -hmm. once it gets awakened, uh, it's amazing how much they're tethered. Mm -hmm. uh, Usually our fears are deeply related to our hopes and vice versa. No, because I totally agree. And I think something I've, a conclusion I've been coming to, and I feel like I've been in this place for a little while, but uh, is just the belief that life can still be good no matter what, and, and life is worth living no matter what. And, and not only for myself, certainly I, I believe that and want to continue to believe that in my own life, but I want to offer that to other people. I have a friend that desperately wants to have a family, desperately wants to be married and, and have kids and feels like the clock is ticking on that window. And I just remind her I want that for her, but I, I want her to want to be alive, no matter how that plays out. You know, that the idea that life can be good and life is worth living no matter what the circumstances are. Um, what a cool thing that, that, you know, we get to be known and loved, we get to be in relationship regardless of circumstance. And, and so I wanted to share that. Yeah, well said. You know, you've been so generous with your time and I appreciate uh, you just introducing our audience to you a little bit more and to your work a little bit more. But I'd be curious about that same question for humanity. So my, my hope and my fear. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I think, uh, I mean, climate change honestly comes to mind. I, you know, I feel like that's one where if we're talking about everybody, we can't afford to get that one wrong. You know, and, you know, maybe maybe to even broaden it, I think, is just how do we how do we keep this thing going in a way that's sustainable? 
in a way that allows your children and your grandchildren and their grandchildren to grow up on a healthy, safe planet. Um, and I'm, I don't have all those answers, certainly, but I think the hope would be that we can figure out how to, and this, you know, it feels a bit hippie coming out of my mouth, but just, you know, how to, how to take care of each other, how to take care of this planet, how to not go to war and not overheat this amazing place that we share. And, you know, and then I guess the fear would be the opposite. It, it is. And with that, it's, it's hard and it's scary because you're wrestling with information, misinformation, science, facts. You know, we, we live in this wild moment where we can't even agree what's really true, you know, and, and we end up so divided. And so, you know, there's so much angst and argument and division, obviously. So I don't know. I, I think my hope is that we can keep keep valuing truth and keep valuing experts and, and learn so that we can keep this thing going for a long time. Yeah. Right on. What's yours? Oh man. Uh, you know, I think about this question a lot. I like thinking about and contemplating on this question and it shifts and changes in seasons. But right now I have a front row seat often of seeing people who show up feeling that they're at a place in their life that is their worst. And then I get to see them just on in the middle and just on the other side of that. And there's a freedom there that is hard to, it's palpable, but it's hard to describe. And I guess I would say emotional freedom because I do feel like collectively, and when I say all of humanity, I, I probably am not as informed and educated with other cultures. And I'm probably talking more about, you know, where I live and our culture here in our country. But I know it's prevalent because we do work in some other cultures, but that there is such a locked capacity of internally how we view and keep ourselves safe. And I think it creates binary dualistic thinking where we just can't be right. We need to be certain. We need to create a construct around us that we can't be curious and question. And that's the way we build our world to stay safe. And it feels like that's what balance looks like. And I think it's a recipe for living a half-baked life. And my greatest hope would be that collectively we could create a paradigm shift where more people could awake that part of them, could live into their truth of who they're becoming, where we could have a a higher level of self-awareness. We could have more empathy we could have more connection around the tables that matter, mm. politics, business, education, psychology, religion. And my greatest fear is that we're years away from that. Mm. And that my, and my efforts and other people's efforts to try to increase that, are, I'm not going to be around long enough to start to see it. And I want to leave it better for my kids. So anyway, that's... um. That's probably it. Man, I like that. I think I like your answer better than mine. Oh, well, thank you. They're both great. Thank you so much for being with us, man. This was an awesome conversation. I love you. I love your work. And uh, man, oh, we're like behind you 100%. I thanks for taking time to spend time with us. Yeah, thank you for, for wanting to talk to me. It, it's an honor. And Sam, I, I love talking to you. So thank you so much. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, we want to encourage you that there is hope. 
No matter what we're facing, there's always a way forward. Healing is possible. If you need immediate support, we encourage you to reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or to the To Write Love on Her Arms Crisis text line by texting TWLOHA to 741741. Your life matters. You matter. Keep going. Keep going.